0: Don't you kind of wish that instead of accidentally mixing the wrong ingredients together, making 15 million vaccines unusable, that they at least accidentally added something like spider DNA that would give us superpowers or something?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, you're just freely handing out ideas for Marvel Universe now. You should be patenting that.
0: I know. I mean, I love the idea of imagining that I get a shot, come home, maybe have a few side effects, and then realize... I can shoot a web out of my hand. Fly! <laughs> go! Go! Go web go! Maybe maybe try swinging from the top of my building, which if the first Spider-Man is any indication probably wouldn't go too well. <laughs>
1: That could actually cause us even more trouble, to be honest, with the reopening of the economy and everything. We've got people
0: figuring this out. Maybe it isn't a good idea. Hey there, Pulse Check listeners. This is Jeremy Siegel, continuing our special series on the coronavirus outbreak. Today I'm talking with Sarah Overmall, Politico healthcare reporter and one of the new co-authors of our daily Pulse newsletter about a vaccine production snafu that ruined millions of coronavirus shots and what it all means for the US and the world's efforts to get everyone vaccinated.
1: What's interesting is that before this past year, the vaccine world was kind of a like quiet and humdrum <laughs> space. Uh, you had three big vaccine manufacturers, GlaxoSmithKline, Pfizer and Merck mm-hmm. who were responsible for a lot of the vaccines that we already had some level of awareness about like say the HPV vaccine or flu vaccines uh-huh. so they would be producing those with their own facilities and oftentimes would have a pretty steady flow of how many they knew they needed to make that year what population was getting it et cetera. all that got thrown out the window during 2020. And that's why we're seeing more of this thing called contract manufacturing, which already was happening, uh, especially when companies are smaller and need to build up quickly. But now it's more prevalent than ever because you've got companies that were not necessarily vaccine makers before, like Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca, and then companies that have never mass manufactured before, like Moderna. And so that's when they bring in these contract manufacturers who have the capabilities of making these types of substances or of filling vials with the substances and finishing them to get packaged and be used. And those are things like emergent or like Catalant. And what is really important there is it allows them to mass manufacture quickly. The problem is that there's not very many of them that have the capabilities to make vaccine substance. And so that's why you have several manufacturers going to the very same factories to do this.
0: So last week, we learned that one of those contract factories that did have multiple vaccine makers coming to them had this big mishap that was first reported on by the New York Times emergent, which is in Maryland, accidentally ruined 15 million coronavirus vaccines at their plant. What exactly happened there?
1: They signed contracts with both Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca to supply each of those manufacturers with millions of doses of their vaccines. So before all this happened, Emergent was boasting that they were going to be able to produce 1 billion doses this year. That was going to go a very long way towards hitting U.S. goals, but also towards hitting goals for other countries that are expecting some doses out of these manufacturers, especially, say, AstraZeneca, which has been providing a lot to other countries. But what happened is that somehow on the manufacturing lines, they figured out when testing this batch that the active ingredients for Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca's vaccines had gotten mixed up in a batch of J&J doses. So those doses were ruined. It was roughly 15 million doses, Mm -hmm. and they have to destroy those. Um, Obviously, it's a blow because every single dose counts, and J&J has been lagging a bit on getting to its goals, though it did hit its 20 million dose goal in March, there was concern that they wouldn't be able to. So this is alarming people for a few reasons. There's been some mounting questions about whether Emergent is going to be able to produce all of these, whether they have the right amount of oversight there to be trusted on this, and then also the ripple effect that has because AstraZeneca now has to leave that facility and find another partner.
0: Is this something that happened as a result of working too fast? I mean, like just hearing the way that this went down, you know, accidentally mixing two things that shouldn't be mixed together. It it sounds like something, you know, I'd accidentally do if I were like working too fast in in, in the kitchen. (laughs) You know, like, is this because the U.S. has been moving so quickly with vaccines? I mean, we have produced and approved vaccines for coronavirus at record speed here. Is that the reason that we accidentally had 15 million of them destroyed?
1: That's what some people are saying. um, Vaccine experts or even some current and former officials are saying it was almost expected that something like this was going to happen at some point, that we were going to have some sort of mix up. They also say that contaminated doses of vaccines or other medicines do happen when people are producing at factories whether it's in the coronavirus or other times. And that's why you do these batch checks. So it's a combination of this does happen, but also we are in an unprecedented record-breaking pace of production right now. And two vaccines for different companies are being produced at the same facility, which is pretty novel in and of itself. That's an unusual thing to go to your, you know, rushing around the kitchen analogy. That's like baking a cake and the entree for dinner at the same time, and then you mix up the salt and sugar. Like, yeah, it it's just, a weird, why would you bake your cake and your entree at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> Except these are both vaccines. Uh, and so, you know, I think there are concerns now about, in general, producing two vaccines at one plant. But then people are saying, really, this could have been avoided if there was more oversight from those individual companies over the emergent plant.
0: Mm. What about the federal government's role here? I mean, you had new reporting this week that suggested the federal government, both the Trump administration and then the Biden administration, knew about some potential issues at this plant months before the vaccines were ruined. Could this have been prevented?
1: It's possible. That's what some people have argued to me and my colleague Aaron Banco when we've been speaking to them about this. This report that was written in June 2020 by a government official did raise some concerns about the level of oversight there and said that there would need to be more in order to ensure quality. I am paraphrasing on the general conclusion there, but there were suggestions about what needed to be done and about this the oversight specifically that Johnson & Johnson could have on its vaccines. The problem is that that report apparently didn't resurface for months, and Biden officials claimed that they didn't see it until very recently when these emergent problems came to light with the batch problems. Mm. But the other issue is that the batch problem was a very specific moment that happened in late March, or at least what the Biden officials were notified in late March of it. There were persistent concerns before this. We found out about inspection issues, oversight, and we know that from things like that June report that was written by uh, a government official.
0: What do you think this whole saga tells us about the way the US is handling vaccination production and some of the I don't know not so exciting but super important parts of fighting the virus. Um like You know, I didn't even know initially that there were these contract manufacturing plants, but this seems to be a huge part of of getting these things out the door and into people's arms. Like, what does this whole mix up and the fallout from it tell us about the vulnerabilities that exist in our systems in the U.S.?
1: Well, it tells us that we don't have a ton of capacity to even be making these things, and we know that because... People have argued that the only reason companies like Johnson & Johnson turned to emergent is because practically every other facility that was capable of making what they needed, this vaccine substance, was taken up by other companies. Going back to the idea that there were always these three big manufacturers in the vaccine space, Pfizer, Merck, and GSK. All three of those were originally in the vaccine race too. So they weren't going to help out others. Hmm. They had their own plans. They were going to do their own thing. Now Merck and GSK have fallen out of the race and they have signed up to help others. So we do have more uh partners and more factories than we did at this time last year, for sure. But. This is still going to be a bandwidth issue, especially when we get to the possibility that these manufacturers are going to want to make boosters and variant targeting vaccines. You can't just throw up another production line next to your original vaccine. At some point, you have to find yet another plant or stop production of the original vaccine to turn to the new one. And that's also going to be um, potentially a bottleneck on resources.
0: I want to talk about the ramifications of this with both of the vaccines that were being produced at the emergent production plant, um, Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca. Let's start with Johnson & Johnson. It's one of the three vaccines that it's approved for use in the U.S. The U.S. is currently ramping up its vaccine availability. President Biden announced this week that we have a new goal of making vaccines available to all adults this month on April 19th. Does this pose a barrier to that?
1: The Biden administration will tell you, no, it doesn't, because the doses that were being produced at Emergent weren't authorized for use yet. So they hadn't gotten the FDA clearance to send those doses out. Also, J&J isn't contributing as much to that summer goal as Pfizer and Moderna are. But I think it is fair to say that there are concerns about this because obviously Emergent was factored into J&J's production plans. And now we know that Johnson & Johnson has been sending its own people into that facility to try and put things right. So obviously they do want this to have FDA clearance and Emergent does have millions of doses of their vaccine that can still possibly be used and probably are factored into Johnson & Johnson's plans.
0: Hmm. What about AstraZeneca? Um, It hasn't been approved in the U.S., but it is supposed to be a huge part of the global vaccination effort. You mentioned that the Biden administration is demanding that AstraZeneca not contract with emergent anymore. What sort of stress does that put on AstraZeneca's production efforts? and, And what does it all mean for vaccinations beyond the US.
1: Right, so the reason that AstraZeneca was told to leave the facility is because they aren't authorized in the US yet. So the logic was that Johnson and Johnson needs to keep its production up as much as possible because they do have goals set for delivering doses. Hmm. Not that AstraZeneca doesn't have those goals, but they haven't even been authorized for US use yet. Mm-hmm. In terms of the impact it could have for the rest of the world, that remains to be seen as well because they were using another contract manufacturer in Maryland, Catalent to produce doses for the rest of the world. And my understanding is that AstraZeneca is still looking for who might pick up the slack left over from Emergent. So they're ramping down production with Emergent now and searching for a new partner. But like we were saying earlier, it's not always been a very big world of manufacturers in the vaccine space. They're complicated to make. It takes a long time to stand up the processes and the lines and the quality assurance programs. And so you can't just go to a list of plants and say, okay, I'll choose you you now. Uh Um, According to a Biden administration official, they do have it narrowed down to two facilities, but We can expect that there will be a gap in AstraZeneca production. Luckily, AstraZeneca has produced somewhere between like 75, 85 million doses so far for the U.S. So they do have a little bit of a stockpile going right now. But now there's questions about even if the U.S. is going to use those and where those are going to be going.
0: Why Why are there those questions about whether the U.S. is even going to use them? Well,
1: um, AstraZeneca's very bad week is continuing. Mm. <laughs> um, and uh, what has happened now is those concerns about blood clots, especially in young people that may be linked to the vaccine, have resurfaced because in the U.K. they've uncovered some data suggesting that maybe about 40 people had this blood clot link. And so that's phased alarms again. The European Medicines Agency, the sort of regional drug regulator for the continent, is saying now that while blood clots are extremely rare with use of this vaccine, that maybe there are some concerns. They're acknowledging that there's some concerns. Mm. And whereas U.S. officials were kind of just keeping an eye on it before, I've at least in conversations with people noticed a little bit of a chilling effect on AstraZeneca and saying... You know, how much of a place are they going to have in our national rollout of vaccines, especially when we do have other options and we have enough of those other options, as long as J&J production gets back on track, that the vast majority of Americans can get vaccinated without AstraZeneca's shot.
0: That is our show for this week. Big thanks to Sarah Overmall for talking with me. To keep following her coverage of the pandemic, be sure to sign up for the Politico Pulse newsletter, which she co-authors every day at politico.com newsletters. Also, subscribe to Pulse Check wherever you're listening, if you haven't yet. Pulse Check's senior producer is Jenny Ament, and our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. I'm Jeremy Siegel.